Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome to today's episode of the Motherhood Revival Podcast. This is a podcast for moms who just need to feel revived, so get yourself a drink, sit on down, and take a minute for yourself. If you're looking for inspiration or just want to hear another adult voice, you're in the right place. This is going to be a really fantastic episode, my friends. We are talking to Jessica Zucker, and she is just amazing. She has written an article for the New York Times detailing her miscarriage experience, her 16-week, I think, miscarriage experience, and she shares so openly. And I feel like this is a topic that's very difficult for some people. So if having a later miscarriage is something that you are maybe not ready to hear right now for whatever reason, I just want to give you the warning right now that we are talking about that and she does share that very openly. But we also talk about kind of the stigma around miscarriage as well as what she is doing with her organization and her social media. I had a miscarriage and you can find that on Instagram at I had a miscarriage. Um, where she just very openly shares her story as well as others' stories and talks about some of the the stigma, the, the negativity that surrounds miscarriage. And she's very open with this. She's a psychologist who specializes in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. And she just talks about this with so much openness. And that's something that I really enjoy on the show with all of my guests, how open they've been. But this one in particular kind of hit a chord for me. And I hope that it does the same for you because she really is just a phenomenal person. So I can't wait to share today's episode with you. And friends, remember, please, please, please go on your Apple podcast app. Give us a rating and leave a comment so that others who are looking for this kind of inspiration and these kind of messages that they can find us. So thank you so much. And if you like what you're hearing, please share on social media. I would love to be able to connect with you through that. Anyway, we will jump into today's episode. Guys, I really can't wait for you to hear from Jessica. Friends, just one more time, if you want to be able to see Jessica on Instagram and to read her amazing okay, posts, so why don't you go just on tell over to I had a miscarriage on Instagram. Face value. One more time, that's at Sure. I so a my name is Dr. Jessica Zucker, and I am a Los Angeles-based psychologist and, and writer. And I specialize like my practice before. in women's so, reproductive so and maternal mental health and have for over a decade and for sharing at this point. Story. And, and for sharing so much you know, wonderful really information, I think the more information we have, the more informed we are, the better prepared we are for whatever happens um, in life. So whether you've had a miscarriage, or you've had many miscarriages, um, you know, or you've never had a miscarriage, um, having children. this and is information that you can when carry I did with so, you I had so, yet friends, to sort of have I my own personal so much experience coming on the podcast with anything that I was and checking it out today and giving it a listen. 
until I was in my second pregnancy. I was four months in, um, at 16 weeks, I had a miscarriage, and just leave a review, leave a comment, and maybe even share on social media if you especially loved this episode. I would be so grateful, and it would help so many others to be able to find this specific episode and lots of other informational episodes with wonderful guests. Guys, come back next week for our Take What You Need episode, and I can't wait to share with you uh, then it's going to be great basically and i will see you soon thank you so much for listening and have a pregnancy fantastic day has changed Bye guys. i guess the course of my life you could say and of course has heavily impacted the way that i work the way that i feel about my work and my passion around the topic well yeah i can imagine so what drove you to specializing in that area of psychology in the first place? You know, I get asked that a lot and I, I think it really just has a lot to do with being a woman myself and being interested in sort of everything related to that experience, right? So like the reproductive and the psychological elements of female identity development and what happens within and to our bodies in culture and, you know, on a physical uh, level. And so, yeah, I just think over the years, I kind of pieced together my, my different interests um, and, and was able to kind of marry them in what I'm doing now. So originally I pursued a master's degree in public health and I was interested in working internationally focused on women's health issues, again, specifically reproductive health, reproductive rights. And then when I decided to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology, it occurred to me that this was, you know, a perfect opportunity to, again, bring together uh, interests of mine that I had had over time and see if I could specialize, you know, sitting across from patients, specialize in what I was doing more globally and, and internationally. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I've always been so interested in that whole field. So it's oh, very yeah? interesting that that's, oh. yeah. So I love that that's your expertise. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, it's really diverse and really, uh, it's just so interesting and so, you know, so relatable to so many and yet so unique at the same time. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading through your website, I noticed that it's not just motherhood. It's not just you focusing on reproduction and moms who are experiencing different things with their babies. It's also just womanhood as a whole, it seems like. So that's really an amazing field, I think. Thank you. I'm biased. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I am too. Um, There's nothing I'd rather be doing, honestly. It it really, I feel an immense sense of gratitude that I've been able to kind of, you know, create a professional life that gets me as excited as like my kids are in candy stores. Like I just feel um, so fulfilled. It's so meaningful. It's so deep. Uh, it's so transformative and to watch people in the depths of their despair and see them sit in that and, and live in that. And then eventually also work through that or also sort of like clamor at with hope and 
and move through to a different place. It's just, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I'm sure. And so tell us a little bit about your family life. That's not something that you share a lot of on your social media profile. So Hmm. just tell us a little background on them as well. Oh, that's interesting that you picked up on that. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, it's an interesting conundrum that I feel I'm in as a psychologist, but also as a mother, but also as somebody who founded this campaign, because I want to share a bit about my life, but I also don't want the focus of the Instagram page to be my family and my, you know, experience only because I want it to be broader and relatable to so many. Uh, so at the, so I have a 10 year old son and I have a five year old daughter and my 16 week loss was in between my children. So getting pregnant with my son was easy and the pregnancy itself was totally uneventful, smooth. We traveled internationally. Like there were just no, no problems. I was able to maintain that naive glow, (laughs) um, throughout because I, I, you know, hadn't lived through anything challenging with regard to pregnancy. So all went well. And then about three and a half years later, we decided to expand our family. And, um, I really felt so differently in that pregnancy. I felt so sick and, uh, it was just a harder, like physical experience Mm -hmm. And then on a Tuesday, I started spotting. Uh, and two days later, you know, as I said, the baby, the baby came out while I was at home. And we did take the baby, you know, the fetus in for testing. And, and we did learn that there was a chromosomal abnormality. So I think that's an important piece that I try to mention a lot. But sometimes I, I forget to, and I think it can be triggering for a lot of women who are pregnant in, you know, or in the second trimester thinking that they're in a safe zone. Um, and you know, the likelihood is you are because miscarriage tends to happen within the first trimester. Um, but when there is a chromosomal abnormality, apparently there's always the risk of, of losing the pregnancy. Uh, and so, you know, it was, there was something really comforting about learning about the chromosomes, um, because they're, you know, sort of, uh, made it so there was no mystery, I guess, around why this even happened mm-hmm. for us. Um, and then my OBGYN suggested that I wait about three cycles to try again. And I want to say that maybe, well, I bled for a long time. So getting my cycles back took a while, but I think it was a few months later that, um, or four months maybe that I got pregnant with my, with my now daughter, who's, who's five. I love that you share that there was, um, chromosomal reasoning behind it. It wasn't yeah. just some, you know, up in the air. Nobody really knows why. Cause I think that can be so difficult from the, the moms that I've had the blessing of being in contact with who have lost, yeah. um, it can be so difficult to piece together why that would happen. And well, I think- yeah. And so much of like my, what I'm striving for, I guess, in, in this campaign is to really help women shy away from what they seem so tempted 
to go toward, which is the self-blame, the shame, Mm -hmm. the guilt, thinking that somehow they did something wrong or their bodies have failed them or all of these kinds of things. um, When most of the time it's completely out of our control. I mean, and that's, I mean, a majority of the time, I mean, that it's the statistically speaking, it's, it's the, you know, it's not like we can end pregnancies by just doing our regular days. Yeah. And that is another thing that really drew me to you on social media was your openness. I had a miscarriage when I was like five weeks Mm. and it was after having my first son who was a really easy pregnancy. But at the same time, I had been a teenager when I was pregnant with him. So I was in a completely different state of life. And then I got married to my husband and we were like, okay, we're going to have a baby. Cool. And then, you know, Mm. happened, and I lost the pregnancy and I I just kept thinking, you know, is this my fault (laughs) in some way? Is this like God's way of punishing me or what, why am I not able to? And then I got pregnant again very easily and it was a really healing experience. But I think for a lot of people, it can be so, like you said, pointed inward. Like this is my fault. And so why? I know, but like, I truly want to get to the root of this. And I know that that's probably <laughs> a pipe dream, but it's like, <laughs> It really concerns me that women are turning difficult experiences on themselves. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. as if we have that much control and as if God is like, if there is one meddling in our pregnancies, like Mm -hmm. I just am fascinated by and also troubled by the fact that people are thinking that like that God would be thinking about this or punishing you for something or, you know, I mean, well, so for you, like what, why do you think you went there? Why do you think you blamed yourself? I think I just had a lot of internalized guilt kind Mm -hmm. of hanging over me. Mm -hmm. I was raised very religious. And so I was, you know, when I got pregnant at 17, it was very, taboo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. Right. So I probably just was hanging on to a lot of internalized self-blame mm. and self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So when I got pregnant, I think that all, or when I got pregnant and then had a miscarriage, I think it all kind of came out that way. And eventually after yeah. having my son, my second son, um, I, I did kind of investigate more on why I was feeling that way and what made me think that like it was my fault for having a miscarriage and Mm. some really helpful talks with friends who've been in the same situation or my husband have kind of brought that out of me but I will say it has made me very afraid to have another child (laughs) of course of course yeah And, and so I think you know I don't know. I'm I'm not the expert here, but I'm sure there are a lot of people that you see, a lot of women that, that come in and talk to you or just share with you because you do have such an open and upfront platform, um, as well as so much information and expertise on the area that you hear a lot of that 
I do hear so much of that. Yeah. And like this idea of grief being a finite thing, for example, you know, it's like, oh, how do you move forward? Well, I don't know, you know, like, do women move forward? Are we supposed to? What does that look like? It's unique for everybody. And I think like, look, like what you're saying is so true and so universal, like the fear then of a subsequent pregnancy. Well, you've had one, but even to have another one, it's like, Mm -hmm. it just changes the shape of our lives. And it doesn't necessarily, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're sad forever, you know, by any means, but Mm -hmm. it just adds these kind of like sprinkles of anxiety in different places that we may not notice for a while. Um, And so like what you're saying, like the idea of getting pregnant again holds a different type of uh, feeling than it may have originally because you know what it's like to go through a loss. So with all of this being said, how did that um, feeling or, or did you experience that feeling when you got pregnant after your second trimester miscarriage? Hmm. I mean, I've been trying to write about this in my book and it's like, I keep having to close the chapter because it's so intense to revisit Mm -hmm. just how anxious I felt and just how uh, like unaware I want to say I was of how anxious I was until I wasn't anymore, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, So I think, you know, we all sort of leave the house every day with a hefty bit of, you know, uh, denial in order to to do our lives because there's, there's so many, you know, anxiety provoking things that exist, but, um, yeah. So I guess I just was in a state of like, just needing to get through each day, uh, Mm -hmm. and not totally allow myself to, to see just how much I was struggling, but I, I was sure, I mean, I felt pretty sure that eventually I would see blood when I wiped, you know, like that's how Mm -hmm. traumatized I think I was from uh, the way the miscarriage unfolded. And it it just really made it hard to trust that things could work out smoothly again, even though, of course, you know, things had with my son and we knew the reason for the miscarriage. And in this situation, we knew she was healthy. So uh, there was no reason uh, from a medical perspective to have any concern whatsoever. But nevertheless, I was, I was pretty mired down in anxiety and, and worry. I can imagine. I mean, I don't know how I got through it, honestly. Like I talk about it and I'm like, wait, did I live through that? <laughs> yeah, no, I did. <laughs> um and one interesting thing that I did find quite healing for myself. So unfortunately, because of, of how my miscarriage unfolded, I ended up having to have an unmedicated DNC. Um, oh, man. Yeah. When I got to my doctor's office, just because of the amount of blood loss, it was so mm-hmm. great that um, we, it, waiting for anesthesiology wasn't really a good idea. So 
because of that, when I, during my pregnancy with my, with my daughter, I, it, it became really important to me to see if I could also have an unmedicated birth with her. And mm -hmm. the reason being, you know, I, the fact that I had to be so physically and emotionally present for my loss, I guess, made me want to be, you know, incredibly present physically and emotionally uh, through the birth because my hope, of course, was that this would be the beginning of a relationship, and whereas the other experience was the end of, of one that didn't even get to, to start. Um, so I found the birth with my daughter incredibly healing. And I, it, it's like I could palpably feel the release of the worry uh, during, the, during the birth process. I mean, I, it, you know, until she was crying in my arms and suckling on my breast, like I still was worried that she wasn't going to make it. But mm -hmm. um, because of the physical experience of birth, I was like so hopeful and so with her in this kind of almost like what felt like a dance of like bringing her into the world, you know, the dance between us, both of us. That's beautiful. It was very intense. I mean, it was such a profound um, experience for me. Yeah. So how did all of this experience with your own miscarriage and being around women who are in that situation or who have lost um, infants or mm. are struggling to get pregnant, any of this realm, yeah. how have your experiences led you to creating your I Had a Miscarriage campaign? How did that all come about? Yeah. Um, let's see. So my loss was in October 2012. And my daughter was born in December, 2013. And so mm -hmm. it was the following October that I decided I would, well, right before October, I, I decided to pitch the New York times uh, thinking that their motherhood or their mothering section would probably, you know, highlight pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. And so I reached out and, um, in that piece, I, I just basically decided to expose the details of my life in the hopes of sort of saying, or as like a call to action for others around the world mm -hmm. to normalize this experience, to saying like, look, I'm a psychologist. Most psychologists are not revealing the contents of their personal lives, you know, um, mm -hmm. publicly. And yet I'm doing so like on purpose. This is with a lot of like conscious thought and um, weighing the risks and the benefits and, and realizing that this could make such a profound difference in the lives of people and also to hopefully sort of puncture culture and wake us up to this notion that like too many people are silenced in this experience and therefore struggling and isolated and feeling ashamed and alone and all of these things. Um, 
And yet, you know, miscarriage is normal. This is a normal outcome of pregnancy. Any doctor, any medical doctor will tell you that. So it's like, it's not going anywhere. It's not a disease. We're not going to be able to come up with some sort of cure. And so the cure, the way I see it, is to just share. I mean, the more we, you know, talk amongst ourselves or share with the world what we're going through, the sooner we will feel more connected and less alienated. So, so that's what I did. I mean, really, I didn't know that I was starting a campaign. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I just thought how edgy and important it would be to say with like a, I'm holding a sign. You don't see my face, but I'm holding a sign and it says, you know, hashtag I had a miscarriage. It's like, why are we so afraid to say this? Like, this is not something that should be whispered, you know, um, or talked about in hushed tones at parties or whatever. It's like, this is happening too often for that. So, so that was 2014. Um, and then the following year, in October 2015, I launched a line of pregnancy and infant loss cards. And so this is when I realized, like, oh, wait, maybe I'm actually starting this thing that I'm going to do annually. Um, mm-hmm. And the cards were really meant to fill a gaping hole in the marketplace and in the cultural conversation surrounding this topic. So my hope is that people could no longer just say something like, well, I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all. It's like, no, here's the antidote to that. Here is something you could send to somebody um, and express your condolences. And basically the cards span the gamut uh, to, you know, from very soft and loving to totally irreverent. So you can express almost anything, you know, through one of these cards, one of the Mm -hmm. nine cards. Um, anyway, so it goes on from there, you know, so, so every year since its inception, I've, I've tried to get at like a different piece of pregnancy loss that I think is worthy of further investigation. Yeah. I'm looking at your website right now (laughs) that talks about, (laughs) that talks about each year pretty much broken down into what you've been doing. And it's really amazing the way that I think you've been able to not only start with your New York Times story, but from there, escalate it and take it even further. How can I help and reach more people and, and share with that community? Um, And I think that's really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it feels like such a a a natural fit like you know that I do have moments when I'm like wait am I going to be talking about this topic until I die but I kind of think I am um and I'm happy to be doing so because again it's like it's not just that it's so multifaceted right so it's like Mm -hmm. it's pregnancy and then pregnancy gone wrong and then and the whys around that so like the physical and the emotional and then there's the grief and how we you know survive it and how we don't um how we navigate it 
And then the next question of like, am I going to try this again? And then living through that, if in fact the person does, you know, become pregnant with a healthy, like it's, it's just, it's such a multifaceted experience. Uh, and there's so many parts of it that we need more talking about, you know? So that's why every year I've sort of, you know, continued on with this. I, I'm, hoping that in 2019 this year I that I will hold myself back and just work on my book in October instead of doing a whole other thing but we'll we'll have to see about that <laughs> the book is I'm, I'm working on a sort of memoir meets manifesto and that's supposed to come out in fall 2020 so in October uh, of 2020 so for everyone listening. <laughs> well, it feels like so far away. Yeah. But it goes by so fast. Yes, it does. It'll be here before you know it. That's true. <laughs> but as I'm looking at your page, one of the things that I'm really drawn to is what you said for in 2017. Mm. And you said, 2017, the campaign zeroed in on the normative culture, cultural standard that advises women to wait to share pregnancy news until they're out of the woods after yes. the first semester. Yes. And that really caught my attention because a few episodes ago, I was able to talk with one of my really good friends for a while now who has experienced two pregnancy losses. And she talked about why she so openly shares um as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant in a way of kind of celebrating life instead Good. of yeah. And that really interested me <laughs> because I think it's so normal to say, well, hold on. I'm not at 12 weeks yet. I've got to, I've got to hold off because mm -hmm. if I lose this baby, I don't want everybody to know. Mm -hmm. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so that's the thing. Like what I tried to convey in the press um, in 2017 was really like, look, I'm not in any way um, saying that people need to tell people right away or that they need to do some like big pregnancy announcement or any of that. Like if people want to stay quiet, that's great. But I just want people to at least feel free to do what they want to do and to question this idea of getting into the safe zone after you're in the woods, because the, none of this exists. Like none of these things, we're, we're just kind of setting up these notions for our own survival, I guess, you know? Um, but also I, I'm concerned that, healthcare providers are saying, you know, maybe don't share your news until you're out of the woods, because that way you don't have to tell people if you do in fact have a loss. And my, my question to that is, well, is that then furthering the stigmatization of this topic and the isolation that follows? And so, mm -hmm. it's, and it's also, I feel like it sets up this idea that like, oop, you know, somehow you will have failed, quote unquote, if it's not a quote unquote successful pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so like, so you're, what are you going to do? You're going to hide a loss from your best friend or your mother or whatever. I mean, people can, if they want to, that's completely, you know, fine. 
but why are they doing so? I just want it to be coming from a place of taking care of oneself and like a sense that people can choose what they want. Should they have a baby or should they have a pregnancy loss? Yeah. And I completely agree. And I think that that's so important. It's again, going back to not putting blame on yourself for something that's not in your control. Exactly. So if you're being told that you shouldn't share it, that's kind of like putting blame on yourself. I think so. You know, it's, it's, I think the number is what, like 80% of um, miscarriages happen in, in the first trimester. I think that's what it is. Yeah, or, I think something around there. Yeah. So, I mean, statistically, it does make sense to sort of advise, like, look, like, until you get to a certain point, we can't be sure that this is going to stick around. Um, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean that if something goes awry, we wouldn't want to share that news as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that I think women need to feel a sense of agency over instead of like, like there's hiding something that um, may or may not lead to quote unquote success or failure. Like it just, I don't, I, I just don't think it should be looked at in this way, you know? And now for a short break. Hey friends, let's take a minute and talk about how you're sleeping. You sleeping good? How's it going? I know for me personally, the last year or so of sleep has just been awful. I don't know if it's because of the two kids or working full time or both, but for whatever reason, this past year has been insanely difficult for me sleep wise. I wake up with aches and pains and discomfort and all that not so great stuff. But fortunately for me, we recently upgraded from our kind of lumpy little queen to the phenomenal Helix Sleep Mattress. Guys, I love it. Oh my goodness. I cannot sing enough praises to my Helix Sleep Mattress. We have the king size Helix Dusk Luxe. And friends, there are so many options for you based on your sleep preferences. So here's what I want you to do. Head on over to helixsleep.com motherhood and take their two minute sleep quiz. And Helix is gonna match you with a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Guys, right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders. So you can get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com slash motherhood. One more time, that's helixsleep.com slash motherhood for up to $125 off your mattress order. Friends, seriously, the best sleep has been going on. Both my husband, who is a back sleeper, and myself, who is a belly sleeper, feel so refreshed in the morning. We sleep so soundly. And I even got a hold of one of Helix's amazing pillows. And it has just revolutionized how I sleep. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's so true. I am waking up without back pain. I'm waking up after like a full deep sleep and I feel so refreshed in the morning. It has changed how I teach. It has changed how I parent. 
it is phenomenal. So one more time, that's helixsleep.com slash motherhood for up to $125 off your mattress order. All right, guys, back to Jessica's interview. I agree. And I mean, I've even heard it go so far as I've heard people say things like, oh, well, they shouldn't be announcing that so early. Like, it's so early. They don't know if they're going to have a baby. Like, right. Oh, everyone feels so to me. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I mean, and it's old school. Like, I get why people worry about that. You know, but if pe- if if someone opts to, like your friend, like celebrate the now, right now I'm pregnant. I may not be tomorrow, but I am right now, and I want to celebrate that. Like, the that's fantastic. Like, enjoy that moment. You know, um, again, like I think we live. There's so much anxiety around us, and if we want to sort of try to embrace the beauty uh, and the hope, then we should do that too. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's such a tricky world to navigate within that pregnancy and pregnancy loss area, but I think it's so important to acknowledge that it happens and to acknowledge that when it does happen it's like you have said before not not anybody's fault it's not anybody's fault when you think about the statistics it's it's it almost doesn't make sense if it doesn't happen to us or somebody Mm -hmm. we love I mean it's almost impossible for it to skip over our close you know friends or family Mm -hmm. um And again, like because of that and because it's not going anywhere, it would be helpful, I think, for us, for our generation, but even more so for future generations to really get more comfortable talking about this topic because it's normative, like because it's natural and normal for us to lose pregnancies. Um, The part that's not normal I mean it's normal but it doesn't feel good is the grief that we suffer and so if we were to open up the conversation my hunch is that you know the grieving process would not be so desolate and confusing and overwhelming for women yeah and it's just so interesting because I look back on my miscarriage and that was, like I said, very early. I just found out I was pregnant. So it was a few weeks along and I hadn't necessarily been planning on getting pregnant at that time. We had thought about it, but we were like, if it happens, it happens. Mm. And then I had my miscarriage. And at the same time, literally, I think the same week, I found out that my cousin was pregnant. And she and I are like the same age. We've always been so close and everybody was excited and celebrating for her. And at the same time, I'm over here. What I felt like was kind of throwing myself a pity party because Mm. why am I feeling this way? Why should I be feeling like this? It's so early. It's, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's that big of a deal, but I feel like it's that big of a deal. But then like, why is this? my fault like Mm. it's just such a tricky area and I didn't really have anybody that I knew of at least who had gone through the same thing 
Mm. And I'm sure there were plenty around me yes. who never talked about it. Oh, you bring up such a good point about this idea of like minimizing our own experiences and the feelings that come along with them, you know, and I, I hear that a lot, like, oh, well, it could have been so much worse. It only happened at five weeks. Like I should be grateful it didn't happen at 20 weeks, all of these kinds of like comparing and contrasting. It doesn't do anything. I think Mm -hmm. that only serves to kind of minimize you know, what are our lived experience and we can have huge feelings about something that somebody else can think is small, but it doesn't matter what the other person thinks if you're the one living it, you know? Um, but it is interesting. And I think that maybe, unfortunately, I mean, I think it's a natural thing that humans do. We compare and contrast stories. Uh, but I, I don't know that social media is helping that in any way. Um, and so when we hear of these horrific stories of this person had SIDS or this person lost, you know, twins, or it doesn't mean that your five-week loss isn't as valid and isn't as painful to you, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really hard to hold on to that when we are looking around at so many other stories. Yeah, and it really in the moment, I think, led me to, instead of trying to heal from it, just try to hide from it. Exactly. And that's, so, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. To not feel like you have the space to mourn or to grieve or to be angry or to be confused or overwhelmed or whatever the feelings were. Yeah. So it's just very, I think, culturally normal and it I like you have said I would love to see that change and to see more people openly share that and I think that's one of the wonderful things that your campaign does is that it brings to light more more experiences and more stories within that thank you so much yeah I mean you know I I hope I hope that that we're in the midst of like a cultural change you know I I think that it has to um with so many people being more vocal and because of social media allowing us to share stories with people we would not necessarily meet face to face hopefully we are creating more dialogue and and more communities uh for connection it would be such a missed opportunity, I think, to not use social media in that way. I completely I think there's agree. A lot of, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of that going on, and I'm even guilty of that. I mean, it's so much easier to throw on a cute picture and say, look at me in this outfit. I look so nice. And there's <laughs> a lot of power that can come from that yeah. if it's used the right way totally. and done in an empowering way. But at the same time, I think it's so easy to just like, here's a picture of me. Here's a cheesy song lyric. Have a <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I get that. I mean, because aren't most people using social media in that way? I mean, I... I don't know. I don't have a a personal Instagram account and I'm not on Facebook and I only use Twitter professionally. So it's, I, I've never really had a place where I just put pictures of like me and my kids or me and a cute whatever, like, but I don't, I mean, 
it seems like most people are using social media in that way. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. From, from my own experience. <laughs> yeah. But it's something that I'm trying to be better about not just sharing my own life, but yeah. about the people who I'm in contact with and the people who sh- whose stories I feel like are going to empower and and be helpful and I guess positive influences for the people who are viewing what I share mm. and I think that's something that you've already mastered so <laughs> I don't know I you know <laughs> I had an interesting experience um earlier this week on Instagram um sharing an image of blood um I mean I the, the artist I, I I believe that the artist intended it to be, you know, a period. So it was blood for, for menstruation. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, used it as a way to talk about those first drops of blood signaling to me that maybe this pregnancy was not going to last. And it was truly fascinating to watch the reactions, you know, to witness um, people responding to that. And I, and I get, you know, it's, it, it just brings up this kind of question, like, do we talk about trigger warnings or content warnings on a page uh, or a, in a place that is solely dedicated to a topic that is inherently triggering? Um, yeah. And should life have a trigger warning on it? I mean, it's, you know, you could argue that that everything has the potential for that. Um, anyway, so it was, it was fascinating because I used it to talk about like the physical experience of miscarriage. One of my followers had reached out, uh, you know, asking me if, if, if I knew of anybody who had shared specifically about that and if I might share more specifically about the, the physical pain and the physical aftermath of miscarriage. And I'm so glad I did because I, it brought out this whole discussion. I think there's like over 350 comments on this one post. Of, yeah, I'm looking did, at it right now. Did you see it? Yeah, these women just going back and forth, like sharing about, you know, feeling like they were in labor or like that miscarrying was like more painful than labor itself or like just it ignited something that clearly needs more talking about. Um but I did have to ask myself because I did get some some direct comments to me about how you know I should be ashamed of myself like this is so triggering and how dare I you know um, talk about or or reveal an image like this you know and it it was it was kind of rattling for me it really kind of like had me thinking through the complexity of trying to you know, navigate a discussion like this on a public platform because I'm trying to get at all aspects of loss, but my audience, I don't know where they are, right? So I could post a picture of somebody just having their rainbow baby. Well, that might be triggering for 30% of my followers because they haven't been able to get pregnant again, or they've decided that they don't want to or something, you know, like, and then same with a stillbirth, you know, if I show a woman holding her full-term dead baby, like that's going to be triggering for people who are, it, it, so it's, um, 
it's a really uh, interesting and important thing to think about and also just to like remind myself that this is why this conversation has to keep happening um, mm-hmm. so that women feel like what love- did you say I love oh yeah sorry <laughs> sorry I love in the post above that that you shared um, talking about this exchange that took place you say mm. um, my aim is to destigmatize and desilence a topic that includes blood sweat and tears physical and emotional anguish, the ripping apart and mending of relationships, isolation, shame, trauma, depression, anxiety, dead babies, and also sometimes hope. Yes. This page exists to talk about an experience that affects one in four pregnancies, an experience society continues to shy away from. And I I feel like that really sums up what you've said about that. It's so hard and so triggering in so many ways in almost every stage of pregnancy and even before pregnancy and even after pregnancy when you're thinking about getting pregnant again but it's so necessary to talk about that's because I think the we've thing. Seen what happens when we don't I know I mean that's the thing it's like I really was reckoning with like what do I do here do I take these down do I explain myself? Do I take a break from Instagram? Like, I just felt like very confused for a moment about which way to go because I, you know, of course I didn't intentionally try to hurt anybody or offend anyone, but I guess in some ways though, I did uh, offend people through this, this image because it's, it is, it's so raw, but it is blood and we do bleed and many miscarriages begin that way and we do menstruate. So I, you know, it's like, I just kind of kept going back and forth about like, you know, how to, how to navigate all of this. Anyway, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting recent development on my page. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you decided to keep it up. And Well, I archived there, it for a few it. hours while I thought about it, but I just ultimately decided that it was it was helping so many people. Like it seemed to help so many people and um so many people were saying how like empowering and important and how validating it was. So there was I felt ultimately like I, I needed to to put it back. Yeah. Isn't it interesting the way that like you can get all of these really amazing and wonderful responses, but it's those handful of super negative responses that are the most impactful sometimes. I know. And, and yeah. And it's like, if you're having like a sensitive day, it can hurt. Like I felt very like twisted up about it because part of me felt like, wait, you know, like, I'm hurting someone like, Oh my God, that's the last thing on earth that I'd want to be doing. Like my whole intention is to be helpful. Um, but then I, then I had to sort of like reckon with like, well, I can't make everybody happy. And like one person who thinks this is so important can all like the next person it could be. So, you know, it, it just is part of, I think what comes along with, 
talking about a fraught topic um, mm-hmm. and maybe also growing a community that, you know, yeah. yeah, you just can't sort of make everybody happy all at once. You never can. No, you can't. <laughs> I've tried. And I, just <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. We, we try sometimes so hard that it's like leads to our own demise or burnout, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But before we finish up and I let you get back to your real world and real life <laughs> and your job, <laughs> which I so appreciate you taking time out of your work day to Oh, it's chat with such her. a pleasure. I'm so honored. It's so great. I've loved having you on. But the last thing I want to close with is I just want to know what your advice is or what you would say, both as someone who's been through this experience and as somebody who is trained in this field, what is something you would say to someone who has had a miscarriage? What, like, what, uh, what am I advising people say, like, to a friend that's had one? Is that what would you say to someone? What would I say to somebody? I would say, I'm deeply sorry for your loss. And I would pause and I would allow the space between us, like, to be able to see what they are feeling if they want to share if they don't want to share what they want to share um and how they're truly feeling it gets tempting to to sort of um, project what we ourselves felt onto somebody else and not everybody feels the way we feel obviously and and not everybody is heartbroken by their miscarriage um so I think not assuming is hugely important. And I, I think then reiterating, you know, I'm here anytime you want to talk. Um, another thing I think is, is very important in friendships and in families uh, is to kind of check in with people over time. So whether it's a five-week loss, a 15-week loss, a 25-week loss, a 35-week loss, whatever it is, you know, it's, it can be really helpful to know that someone's thinking about your experience a week later, a month later, or maybe even a year later, depending on the situation. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't have to be filled with like, oh, I'm so, you must still be so dot, dot, dot. We don't know. But it's like, yeah. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. And I think this is around the time that you had your loss last year. And, you know, just you're in my thoughts or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Just, again, allowing for that person to be in their feelings and not have to, like, accommodate us or over-explain or, or keep their mm-hmm. feelings or, or thoughts to themselves. Is that, does that address your question? Yeah. Yeah. I really like that answer. Okay, great. (laughs) And I think it also kind of answers that, what, what should I say to somebody else who's going through that? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think keep it simple is best. And I think empathy is everything. And um, we really just want, I just wanted to feel 
people cared about me and were not moving away from me based on something I just lived through. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jessica, I really appreciate you again coming on and sharing with me everything that you have. I think what you're doing is so important and I look forward to reading your book next year. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy that you reached out and I think your community is so special and vibrant and so very important. So to, to be able to join it in this way is, is so meaningful to me. Thank you. time if you want to be able to see jessica on instagram and to read her amazing posts go on over to at i had a miscarriage on instagram one more time that's at i had a miscarriage just all together i had a miscarriage and friends she is just absolutely wonderful like i've said before i am so so grateful to jessica for coming on the podcast today and for sharing her story and for sharing so much wonderful information i think the more information we have the more informed we are the better prepared we are for whatever happens in life so whether you've had a miscarriage or you've had many miscarriages or you've never had a miscarriage this is information that you can carry with you anywhere so friends, I appreciate you so much coming on the podcast and checking it out today and giving it a listen. One more time, if you want to go on over to our um, Apple page and just leave a review, leave a comment, and maybe even share on social media if you especially loved this episode, I would be so grateful and it would help so many others to be able to find this specific episode and lots of other informational episodes with wonderful guests guys come back next week for our take what you need episode and i can't wait to share with you then it's going to be great and i will see you soon thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic day bye guys